for my records, I'm here with Viv, and it is the 3rd of September, yes. day 20 of the trip, Yay. and I'm in Liverpool! Hello and welcome to season two of the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast. My name's Frankie and this is the podcast where I cycle around the UK interviewing folk about their adventurous lives. This season was recorded back in September 2020 as I cycle towards Liverpool and onwards north on my way to Scotland. This is episode three where I talk to Viv outside a bouldering wall in Liverpool. I'd spent the day cycling around the city and for the first time on the trip it was just for the joy of cycling and not because I needed to be anywhere. The sun had finally come out and day 20 was absolute magic. We recorded this episode outside so you might be able to hear traffic, a bit of wind and climbers heading into the wall but I hope they don't deter from Viv's incredible stories. So to start with, for people that don't know you at all, who are you? What do you do? (laughs) So I'm Viv. I work in marketing as a freelancer at the moment. I like music and climbing and reading and keeping fit and active and adventure are my big things at the moment so that's kind of where I've landed up at the grand old age of 41. Awesome you earlier you started telling me this awesome story all about your life and how you got here and can you just say it all again absolutely (laughs) try to remember what I said see how much I made up so I'm from London, basically from London. I spent about 20 years there being very much a city girl and uh, totally loving my life in London. I worked in marketing at a brilliant company that I absolutely adored working at, but it was very quite like ambitious and high-powered. And that's kind of you know where I really thought I was going to end up for the rest of my life. Um, I met the man who was going to be my husband when I was 20. I think and we got married when I was 26 and we had a fantastic life so we lived in a beautiful apartment he had a great job he owned a company I had this brilliant job that I really really loved um, everything was perfect really nice great relationship great life great friends and I was really bored by the time I got to my early 30s so the company that I worked for was a small business And it was sold to a big publishing company, and that just wasn't what I had signed up for. I liked working in a small team, and things started to change a little bit, and I decided it wasn't really for me anymore. And then I had the weird experience of realizing that maybe I didn't want to just live my normal life for the next 40 years. And I had to look very closely at what that meant, because I was married um, to somebody who I really loved and who was great. And there were really no problems in the marriage, except for the fact that we just didn't quite seem to see eye to eye on this idea of like just doing slightly different things with our lives. And I just felt I didn't even know what it was. I just needed to go and try something else and experience something else. And that was a really hard decision because, you know, it's not like there was any any problems. So it was a really hard thing to make a decision to leave that relationship when I knew that everything I had an easy life, I had a really easy life. 
And to be honest, when I got married, that's kind of what I wanted. And then I didn't anymore. So I made that decision and I left my husband and my job and London within six months, which was a bit of a wrench. So I went and moved to Manchester, which I'd done quite a lot of work in Manchester before. So I had a job to go to, which was great. And I started a new relationship and it was all very exciting. And in the course of that happening, my new partner introduced me to a guy called Jed who had just opened a climbing wall in Liverpool and he was a lot of fun and a bit insane and I thought he was cool and we ended up hanging out quite a lot as mates and he tried to get me into climbing. I started knowing lots of people who were into climbing and they all started having a go at me and I was like, not in a million years. I hate it. I hate sports. I was always the last one picked for the team. Like I used to drop the netball and avoid the hockey pitch. I absolutely hated anything like that. I went to the gym because I felt like I probably needed to in my 30s, <laughs> not through any kind of joy. I put up a good fight, put up a good fight for a good two years. And then they basically all my mates got together and said, we're going to France, we're going climbing. You can come, but you have to climb. Otherwise, you're going to be very bored. So I went to France. We went to Fontainebleau, which, you know, is not the easiest place to go climbing, especially if you've never, ever climbed before. And I spent a week crying. Um, because I felt so out of my depth and so uncertain about what I was doing and I think I did one climb and um, I swore a lot and I cried a lot and I had a bit of a panic attack when I finally got to the top and then strangely when I came back to the UK it was very easy climbing indoors so I realised that maybe I enjoyed it more than they thought I did when I wasn't hanging onto a piece of grass at the top of a rock (laughs) and I just got the bug absolutely got the bug and I Spent all of my time at the climbing wall and then eventually started freelancing for Jed at the climbing wall and then started working full time for Jed at the climbing wall and living my whole life at the climbing wall. And that's basically what I ended up doing. So then I spent four years working at the climbing hangar through its massive growth. And I just loved every minute of it. I've made some amazing friends. I'm a crap climber. I'm still a crap climber. Um, I just like hanging around and drinking coffee and looking like I know what I'm doing. And looking pro on the easy stuff, that's kind of where my sweet spot is. But it completely changed my whole outlook on everything. So I went from being quite a fearful, indoorsy, mentally quite strong, but I think physically I just always felt like I I wasn't really cut out for doing anything particularly extravagant or interesting or weird. And it just really developed I guess a belief in myself and my physical self like to be able to go and try new things and as a result of that I've ended up traveling and changing whole bits of my life and doing crazy things that I never thought I would do been on big adventures but also I think it has helped me mentally as well the visualization of I can just do that thing I can do it I know I can because I can do it on the wall I can take that risk on the wall so I know I can do it in my life and that it's an amazing feeling to have. You know, it's not about being good. It's about being confident, I suppose, in a new way. Um, yeah, and I would say climbing has changed my life completely. That's awesome. What an incredible story. And I bet it's going to resonate with so many people that are not sure, maybe at that pivoting point in their life, and not sure what they're going to do. I'm going to take you right back to the start of that story. And if anyone's out there questioning whether they're comfy, whether they want to change, what sort of advice would you give them? How did you take that leap? 
it is kind of true, I suppose, that whole thing about you just know. I think I did really get to a point where I was like, I'm just really unhappy. I can't put my finger on why, but I'm generally unhappy. And it feels heavy and a bit debilitating. And I just kept thinking, I think I'd like something different. That kind of kept coming back. It wasn't even I want something specific. It was just like, I think I'd like something different. I think I'd like to try something different. I think there's something else out there that I haven't experienced yet that I think I'd like to try. And I think if you have that, if you get to a point where you're continuously questioning, I think you have to listen to it. And it took me a long time. I'd say it probably took two to three years of thinking about it really hard. It wasn't like some overnight epiphany where I just went, yeah, I changed my whole life, yay! <laughs> um, it was definitely a matter of really thinking about it, really trying to take a step back and understand what it was that I was giving up and knowing that that wasn't enough and trying not to worry too much about what might be enough. I think that can be really debilitating if you're trying really hard to perceive what it is that you're going to, unless you've got a big goal. You know, I think some people... I like, yeah, I definitely want to go and save the whales in Antarctica. Like, absolutely fine. Then go for it if that's your burning passion. But just because you don't have that doesn't mean that you're not in a place where it's okay to make the change. You don't have to know what comes next. And that still freaks me out. It still scares me because I still don't know what I'm doing. You know, I still don't really know what the big dream is. But I know I've had a lot of fun for the last few years. And I, and I know I'm in a decent place. Like, I'm in a good place. Like, my life is lovely. That's awesome. And since getting into climbing and starting to live this more adventurous lifestyle, what adventures, what trips have you been on? It started off with really silly things. So I love music, right? I really love music. I really love dance music. I used to run club nights in London a long time ago. So it's always been a part of what I've done. And I had never been to a festival until I was in my 30s. Just because that same thing, that like being outside going camping all of that roughing it was not something I did like I had a nice life I had a nice flat in Brixton it was all very middle class and comfortable and um, so it kind of started with small things like that and then my first big adventure was probably going to Burning Man I went with my partner but we went together when we were organizing it so I did that all myself which is a bigger undertaking than you might expect and when you have to figure out like how you're going to get your camping stuff and your water and you turn up in Reno at two o'clock in the morning and you don't know anyone and suddenly you've got to sort your whole life out in the desert with no understanding of what's going on around you. So that was that was definitely a baptism of fire. And oddly, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it oddly made me feel very capable. Like I managed to go and organise this really quite complicated logistical set of things. And now I felt like travelling was going to be a lot easier. And festivals became dead easy after that. I was like, oh, I can pack everything in a small bag that's about this size and it's fine and I don't have to catch a flight anywhere. So my, definitely since then I've been to Peru and Bolivia. It was, it was only about three weeks, but it was just... I'd never done anything like that before, like going on my own. I had no responsibilities to anyone. The scenery was just awe-inspiring. It was like the culture was amazing everything about it was brilliant and we trekked we didn't do the Inca trail we trekked across the Andes so there's an alternative trail that you can do I was really worried about it I was worried about getting altitude sick and I was worried about like the intensity of the trekking as well I did get really bad altitude sickness on the day I got there like I flew into La Paz and um, I thought I was going to die 
for about 24 hours so I just couldn't stop throwing up and then I woke up and I was absolutely fine and I really didn't get affected that badly after that so that was a Amazing. huge relief but I loved being in the mountains I loved being so high up I love the fact that it would go from 30 degrees to like minus four in the space of like 20 minutes <laughs> the physical exercise aspect of it like the activity aspect of it was just incredible like I've, ne- I've never felt so fit as when I came back I think I just you're eating in the way that you should for the activity that you're doing and you sleep really well every night and you're breathing clean air all the time and you know you're active all day and I met some great people and a lot of guinea pigs and a lot of llamas there's llamas everywhere it's just brilliant so that was a huge that was a huge thing so was that guided it was yes yes so, you went by yourself, but then were you in a small group yeah. for the whole thing, or was it different people? Well, the groups changed, but yeah, it was with the same same tour company, which was an amazing way of travelling, actually. It's really, I would definitely say, if you're thinking of travelling on your own, and you don't really know what to do, and you don't really know how you're going to be being on your own in a place, because obviously, you know, Bolivia and Peru are quite difficult countries to just get around if you're not sure what you're doing my Spanish is rudimentary at best and most people don't really speak Spanish as well I found so if you haven't got hope if everyone's speaking dialect anyway it was a really good way to feel like an independent traveler with none of the responsibilities or worries of having of having somebody else about but still feeling like you've got a set of people around you and a support network around you I think it would be a big thing to go on your own entirely if it's not something you've done before yeah I'm not sure I think I'd be better prepared now because I understand a little bit more about what I would need to do. Yeah, but I think I think it's so valuable to say that because I think there's a lot of people who sort of step back and think, well, how do you do that? And completely, that is how you do it. Completely. And I really didn't know the kind of people I was going to meet and I was a bit like, mm, what if you get stuck on a bus with people who you don't... But actually, it was really diverse group. I was kind of in the middle of it, age-wise, so I wasn't the oldest, which was also pretty good. Um, but the youngest was, like, 18. And everyone... Do you know what? Everyone has something to give. Everyone had something to give. Like, even the even the stoner teenager who was mostly interested in where he could do ayahuasca, and we had to keep rescuing him out of dodgy bars where <laughs> he managed to get himself, like, into various bits of trouble. He was such a dude. Like, he was an amazing guitar player and would just entertain us in the evenings and every single person in the group had something to share and something to give us and something to teach and that was an absolute joy but also and I know this sounds bad but also to know that you're never really going to see each other again and all you need to do is just be a really decent human being no one knows you you just are who you are for that period of time and as long as you're a nice person and you're good to everyone and you really get to practice that be kind to everyone you know, there's no other responsibility except to be decent to the people that you're with. And that's quite a nice place to be. I love that, absolutely. And it definitely that's something I felt travelling, is that people don't have their perceptions of you. No. So you can be whoever you feel like without someone having known the history of your life for the last three or four or five or ten years. Totally. And we got into the most crazy deep conversations about, like, moral and ethical dilemmas. <laughs> and... and Everyone just expressing opinions that I think would might have been a bit more guarded than normal, but because they didn't come with all these perceptions and everyone was just like taking it at face value, like, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about it like that. You know, it really felt like an exchange of ideas. And um, 
it was great talking to people of so many different ages and from so many different places. It was quite a mixed group as well. So that was just the experience of being with the people as much as anything was an absolute joy. And then just add that into where we were. And I mean, the culture in Peru is, the Inca culture is just insane, honestly. They, I don't know how much you know about it, but by the end of the trip, I was completely convinced that uh, Machu Picchu was definitely built by aliens. There's absolutely no other explanation. I don't understand how they did it. How did they know? How do they know where everything is to such perfect geometrical, like, certainty? How do they know? How could they see it? They weren't in the sky. I don't get it. I don't get it. So um, that was, that's also lends this kind of sense of unreality to the whole place as well. Like you're standing in this place that was built in ways you simply cannot understand. And that has its own, like, ah, oh, I don't know what's happening. Amazing. <laughs> and so tell me about New Zealand. New Zealand was much easier in as much as it's dead easy to get around. It's really safe, obviously. Everyone speaks English. It is a bit like being in the 80s. There was a lot of rock. Uh, I listened to the Dirty Dancing soundtrack in every bar I went to, I think, which is quite fun. I mean, it's obviously beautiful, absolutely stunning country. Um, and so diverse and so um, such contrasts in really small areas so yeah so I started in Auckland and I did another overland trip for the first seven days going up to kind of Bay of Islands and um, Cathedral Cove and just amazing I mean the beaches. <gasps> the beaches the sea is so blue and the sand is so white <laughs> and it was like being in a postcard the trip, I would say, definitely the overland bit of the trip. So there, it was well organised, but it was a lot more coach tour. So that you know, in Peru and Bolivia, it was very everyone mucks in. Everyone just felt like they were there for kind of a raw experience. And um, we camped every night in New Zealand, but there, the it was much older crowd in general, and it was very much more kind of organised. Spent a lot of time on the bus, like eight hours a day. So. It would have been better, I think, to probably do it yourself because New Zealand's such an easy country to get around. Looking at it now and having hired a car later in the trip and like being on my own, I was like, oh, I really should have done this. Let's do the whole thing. And where did you go when you hired a car? So I had friends in Wellington. So I went from Auckland down to Wellington on this trip and then down to the South Island and then picked up the car in Christchurch and then guys at the hangar as my leaving present bought me a day on Fox Glacier um, so I drove from Christchurch to Fox which was an interesting journey through some really terrible weather I thought the whole trip was going to be called off the weather was so bad I couldn't see in front of the car when I was driving into Fox the night before I was completely convinced it was going to be called off woke up in the morning to the most glorious sunrise went over to the tour place to meet my guide and um, I think there was supposed to be a minimum of three people on the tour and nobody booked because the weather was so awful. So I was fully expecting them to cancel it. So they just took me up on my own. No um, way. Which was amazing because I just got day with my lovely guide who just, we just went and did everything. Like normally you'd get to do a couple of the activities and you don't get to walk that far because obviously there's more of you in the group. But we had nothing stopping us. So... Um, yeah, we managed to, uh, we literally walked for eight hours on the ice with crampons, abseiled, did some like crevasse climbing, 
proper ice ice climbing with ice picks, which is really hard work when you climb because you just want to hold on to everything. So that's a bit weird. And it's very slippy <laughs> and it really hurts. You, when you kick with your crampons, I just kept bashing my knees. So when I finished, all my legs were absolutely black and blue. Had you done any like glacier or nope. cold stuff nope. before? No, nothing, nothing like that. And it's bizarre when you hear the ice cracking and, you know, and obviously the whole thing is melting quite rapidly as well so you can hear the water but it's right underneath you and there's amazing waterfalls coming in at the top and then you can really see the ice flow and the colours are amazing like it's really really blue the ice is really blue and you get to sit in ice holes and uh, yeah it was amazing and the helicopter if you get a chance to go on a helicopter just go on a helicopter because I know everyone's flown and you're like oh how different can it be it's just completely different <laughs> it's so cool it's basically just like being in a big bubble floating above the world it's great it's amazing amazing and so are you going to do ice stuff again I'd like to try it again because I feel like it all took me a little bit by surprise I wasn't expecting quite such a full-on day and you know when you're like I can do this but I need a bit more practice (laughs) and I found it really hard getting the axes in enough the ice is really hard like you don't even think about it I think we're used to English ice where you just kind of kick it and it falls apart um this is like basically trying to get something into concrete awesome and you started your story with the fact that you tried climbing outdoors and then (laughs) you much preferred indoors is that still the case do you climb outdoors now I have climbed outdoors indoors basically I only do bold I only go bouldering but I have climbed outside on ropes I'm going to say I didn't like it that much. I, could, I don't like the faff of ropes. It drives me a bit nuts. But I also feel like I just haven't had much of an opportunity to try it. I guess in some ways it's a bit easier because you don't have to start again every time you fall off. <laughs> um, and you do get quite a rush from being high up, I guess. Bouldering still freaks me out, although last summer I had a bit of a breakthrough on my climbing and I went outside a few times and really enjoyed it. So it was a bit of a shame that this year that became quite difficult to do. So yeah, there's definitely something I need to do more of, I think. I like the um I like having it as an excuse to be outside. Yeah. Like you get to go to cool places and like the walks are nice and then you end up in these slightly strange places doing a really weird activity and you see people walking along on a footpath going what are you doing? The other thing about that's weird about bouldering outside is even when you're not far off the ground, you can feel very high up. Yeah. Like, so, because you're on a bit of rocky outcrop and just because the ground is underneath you, you kind of turn around, you're like, whoa, I am a long way off the floor. So, yeah, I've got to get over that as well. So, if there's anybody, because you said that you were, like, quite city in London to begin with. If there's anyone that is quite city-ish and doesn't think that the outdoors is for them but is maybe interested what sort of advice could you give them I mean it obviously took me quite a long time and quite a lot of convincing I think finding something that you enjoy and finding people actually though finding people that you like being with and who you trust so going on a climbing holiday in a, it was a, something that I'd never even considered it just wasn't even on my radar as something that I might possibly do. So when they kind of introduced the idea to me, it wasn't like I was going, oh, yeah, I've always fancied giving that a go. I was like, what? What are we doing? I don't even really understand what seven days of climbing looks like. Like, why would you do that? Because I knew them and I knew that whatever happened, we'd have a good time. 
like just hanging out with them would be nice, even if everything else was really difficult. I was like, well, may as well, may as well go and see what it's like. And actually, that was really cool. Like trying to find, trying to find a group of people, finding a group of people who you really like, and or, or finding your friends and kind of doing it together. I think a lot of people think I'm going to have to do this on my own. But actually, I found, I mean, the climbing community is amazing for this. Like, rock up at a climbing wall and people will just chat to you. You meet a lot of people. They don't have to be your best friends in the world, but if they're your climbing buddies or your walking buddies or your running buddies or whatever, you know, I've definitely found that people who do a lot of outdoor activities generally really open and welcoming. It can feel weird. It can feel like a clique. It can feel like everyone knows each other and there's a whole new language. But actually... I think it's really warm and welcoming and open. You just you do have to be a little bit like brave to make the first move. But I think in general, people will be very receptive to giving you advice or helping you out or encouraging you. Um, I definitely say definitely in the climbing community. If you're not sure and you want to try something, climbing is brilliant because it's indoors. It's There's normally great coffee. There's always good cake. There's nice people. You're in a environment that feels quite safe and doesn't feel too alien and it opens up a whole world of being able to go outside and go and do things that you didn't think you could do with people who you've then met in an environment that felt safer so do something like join a running club you know that just gets you out or join a walking group that just gets you out and about and kind of puts you in touch with those people and I think that's really helpful yeah, definitely. I would agree 100%. And I'd also like add on. I mean, I'm not supposed to be adding on, but I'll just add it on anyway. I can do what I like. Um, I'm just going to add on that, like, when I first started bouldering, I had climbed outside before, but I was really scared about going to the bouldering gym by myself because I thought that everyone would be there with their friends and they'd all be like, who's this weirdo loner? Like, what's she doing by herself? And that's not the case at all. Like, Loads of people climb on their own. Um, I climb on my own all the time, so I haven't got any mates. No, I climb on my own all the time. I really like it because I find climbing quite calming, like quite meditative. So I often quite like climbing on my own. I climb better with other people, but I definitely enjoy the experience of being there on my own. But And if I see other people who are there on their own, like I'll have a chat and no one, no one, it's like going to the gym. Everyone thinks that everyone's staring at you. No one cares. You know, no one cares what you're doing as long as you're having a nice time not necessarily a nice time a productive time whatever <laughs> and if they're staring at you it's probably because you're doing a climb they can't do like that is nine times out of ten the reason why someone's yeah. staring at yeah. you yeah yeah i completely agree with that i uh, spend a lot of time watching other people climb um, and never in a judgmental way mostly in an awestruck how did you do that well i can't get my leg up there <laughs> yeah what what hold are you using yeah, really? I, I didn't see that one <laughs> <laughs> I asked this next question because kind of in my life being freelance living in a van shaping it around the outdoors and things I love I sometimes feel like I might be trying to go against the grain mm-hmm. is that something that you've ever felt <laughs> yeah probably when you leave your like nice stable happy marriage I've never really done things quite the way I'm supposed to I had a complicated childhood and Ended up leaving home when I was 17. I was lucky enough. It was still 
in school and stuff and I was academically I was really good so I kind of went off I had a had a troubled year that I managed to get through and then went off to university and that became much easier because that was like what everyone else was doing but I didn't have uh, family support really and so that always made it a little bit different I suppose so I've always kind of gone a bit my own way and then I got massively into the rave scene and then into kind of decor and set design so that was kind of cool so I did that while I was working as a temp at Woolworths for like four years <laughs> which was an interesting like juxtaposition of lives and then yeah so even finding my own even finding my first job so I absolutely loved my job in London and it was brilliant and it totally set me on my way but I wasn't trained in marketing I was a history graduate I had no idea what I wanted to do and basically I started as the admin in this tiny little startup with six people in it and then by the time I left, there were 60 of us in like five countries. <laughs> and so, you know, that journey was crazy as well. I started off, I was like, ended up being head of department. And again, just a crazy journey to go on. So I suppose the changes that I made later on, they kind of come at the end of a bit of a, what would I say, a topsy-turvy life, I guess. Like I often just, I think I quite often just go, yeah, bored, next next thing and kind of follow whatever comes up which is weird because I am list oriented I am I'm very good at putting safety net in place so there's always a safety net like I've always got a financial cushion I've always got a second option you know even now I'm freelancing but I go for job interviews like just in case they all and you know always just have that thing in the back of my head if this goes wrong, what can I fall back on? And so I suppose that's the that's the caveat to it. I get to change my mind quite a lot, but I've usually spent a lot of time being anxious and worrying about what I'm going to do if it all goes horribly wrong, which is the thing I would change. Stop worrying so much. It's probably okay now. I'm probably all right. <laughs> I'm probably not just going to completely fall apart. <laughs> I usually ask people, like, how they cope with that sort of feeling of going against the grain, but... Is that how you cope with it, by having that backup net and that safety? Totally, totally. I I think I simultaneously like the... I quite liked lockdown, the beginning of lockdown, because it felt like a bit of a crisis. So I do think that I cope quite well in that, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I become really productive and really effective. Yeah, so I think in a way it energises me, making those big changes kind of energises me, which is maybe not a brilliant... um but yeah definitely having the safety net I have to know it's going to be okay and probably as I've got older that's become more when I left home I literally picked up my wallet and left and walked out the door there wasn't loads of safety net there it turned out there was but I hadn't really planned it but there was a safety net because I was 17 no one was going to leave me to my own devices particularly but I hadn't really thought about it I suppose as I get older I'm a bit more like concerned about the longevity of the safety net you know it's not like oh it'll be okay as long as I can get through the next year it's a bit like well if I make a change and it all goes horribly wrong and then I find myself at 60 living in a box that's not going to be so much fun <laughs> sometimes I think like, I mean I've got like no retirement plan at all sometimes I'm like I think it'll be fine when I'm 60 I think I just live in a little council flat with all my friends and, <laughs> do you know like everyone will like 
walk past my basement flat to go outside and smoke their joints. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah. Hello. And they'll be like, hi, Grandma. <laughs> I, I like, I'm a bit like that. So the safety net is like very now, it's very present. Like, yeah, I haven't got pension. <laughs> so I say things like, I've got a safety net. It's like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I own a house, so it's fine. But I mean, um, that is basically a pension. Like, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, I suppose as well. I was in a hugely fortunate position when I was young. Like I was left money and inheritance and it wasn't like it wasn't like life changing, but it was enough that I've been able to do things like have have a house and I have to pay a mortgage, but I'm you know, I've never been in that position where I'm like, Oh my god, I literally, you know, I can't afford to buy or so I guess there's always been a sense of stability underneath it, which has let me just kinda of go, Yeah, I can probably try this. It's probably okay. Um, and I think as well, there's a, I've earned really good money, but I also, I'm okay on less. So like I was saying to you earlier about the kind of looking at three days a week and such a privileged position to be in to say, I can work three days a week and I can live. Like I'm, the skills I have are worth enough that three days a week will sustain me. So the compromise between being able to charge a decent amount and not needing you know I'm not out there for like loads of material gain as long as my life is comfortable just it's a hugely fortunate position to be in isn't it really so yeah there's a good deal of luck in there as well this is quite a big one so take your time if you need to <laughs> but how do you think your journey has shaped who you are now oh. uh. <laughs> so I have not hugely scary but I definitely have anxiety and a tendency towards depression I would have moments of it never been really deep into it but definitely had some difficult times and I think the one thing I have that I absolutely know I like I just know I'll get through it I and I even in my crappiest darkest most horrible moments I think I've got a resilience that I'm just certain of I think that's true when I'm trying things as well, when I decide to do something different. Even when I'm scared, I'm like, I'm probably, nothing too terrible is likely to happen, really. Like, nothing that I can't cope with. In the end, I'm pretty resourceful. I've got through some really difficult things. Like, mentally, I've got through some really, really, really hard personal situations. And I'm like, if something goes wrong on a trip, this might be annoying or like really hard or a bit scary but I don't feel like I'm going to crumble under the pressure right I might do afterwards once it's all okay but I think at the time I guess rising to the challenge is like kind of the superpower like in a moment of crisis I'll just make it work and then I'll figure out how terrifying it was afterwards that definitely comes from a long 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 time ago but I think it probably has given me the opportunity to take more risks I guess and I think when I look back at like my 20s in particular I didn't travel and I did play it very safe you know I was quite worked I wish now sometimes I don't regret anything I had an amazing time in my 20s I did plenty of things that were pretty insane you know I don't feel like I missed out on all the crazy years but I do wish I'd travelled more I do wish that I'd maybe been a bit more brave rather than just mad <laughs> I think and I think that um 
I think I feel that resilience a lot more now than I did then. I think I was much more vulnerable then. I didn't believe that I was just going to be okay. And the other thing that I would definitely say, and I, I don't know if other people will get this, but I almost had this strange thing, like the climbing, and I got really into strength training and stuff off the back of that. There's something about regaining a trust in your own physicality as someone who had kind of lost that confidence in their ability to do things. So even though I'm not the strongest climber, I kind of know if I fell off a wall, I'd be able to like, you know, I'd be able to fall properly or hang on to the wall. <laughs> or like do something to mitigate it. I wouldn't just be this kind of vulnerable passive bag of skin. <laughs> um being able to be physically very present in your own life and physically strong in your own life in a way that makes you feel confident in your presence. I suppose I spent a lot of my life feeling not very seen and a bit weak. And now I don't. Now I feel like I could push back. I'm here. I'm definitely here. I'm definitely physically here. And I think I felt like that wasn't the case for a long time. And that combined with... The resilience, I think, is it's a nice place to be, to feel like a bit stronger, a bit more like you come into your own. Coming back to the climbing wall after lockdown was insane because obviously I'd only seen about six people for you know six months. But I have a lot of friends here. Most of the people who work here are mates and have been for a long time. And I walked in and I was like, oh, my God, I know so many people. And I really felt seen, you know, like for the first time in months. I was back in the place where I feel present. It's a bit spiritual, yes. isn't it? But awesome. No, what an incredible answer. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't know if any of that made sense, but yeah, that's what I've got out of the last few years is a real feeling of just being here. Amazing. And what's one thing that you know about yourself now that you wish you'd known earlier? I'm way more capable than I thought I was. I do not regret getting married under any circumstances at all like it was awesome and the man I married was lovely but I did need the support I felt like I needed the support at the same time as being very like go away I don't need anything from you which must have been really hard for him (laughs) fiercely independent but also very scared of being on my own I think I would have been quite a different person if I'd known that I was I was going to be all right that I was capable of being on my own I think I probably would have done a lot of this stuff much earlier on and whether it whether I would have got it out of my system I don't know I think I'd be a different person I think I'd be a more chilled person because I think I would have had more time to kind of get used to the idea that that was okay whereas I almost feel like I've stumbled over that in the last couple of years and I'm still not it's kind of not quite sure of it so I'm not you know I haven't quite inhabited that bit yet I think in my 20s I would have been a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> like, I think I would have been pretty scary because I was pretty angry as well. So you can imagine I would have been like a really, really angry, really independent, really arsy girl. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's for the best then. <laughs> Who like weighed about six stone. <laughs> Just like this little ball of total energy. It would have been a nightmare. I don't, yeah, <laughs> maybe it is for the best. <laughs> I think maybe I can cope with it better now. But I do think I would have had more, more adventures probably. I've been asking everybody about authenticity and about your authentic self. It's something that, like, the older I get, the more me 
I feel. Mm. And I kind of look back on the old versions of me and I'm like, oh, you didn't know anything. <laughs> what do you think authenticity or your authentic self means? I think it's a difficult concept sometimes. You can get a bit caught up in, I'm trying to find the real me and it can become a bit limiting. Like you're always looking for something. I think there's a lot of this, isn't there? Like, you know, find your calling. Like there's one true you, one true thing you should be doing. I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think there's whatever it is in the moment that feels like the right thing to do is probably the right thing to do. And I don't know if like continuously thinking, oh, but is this the... Is this really what I want? At the moment, in particular, like I'm kind of a bit disillusioned with work and stuff. It's not quite, something's not quite right. And I think you learn to just answer that a bit. Like you actually take a bit of time to think about, well, what isn't right? Rather than kind of trying to squash it down and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And um, having the confidence that if it really doesn't feel right to you, maybe it just isn't. I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm just scared or I'm just worried about something. I'm just anxious about something and that's what's causing it. But if that, like I said at the beginning, I think if that voice is persistent, if that feeling is persistent, you have to listen to it. But you know, if you know yourself, you know what you need to try to make it. Maybe you need some rest or you need to look after yourself better. You need to eat better or exercise more or, you know, whatever it is. And if those things aren't working and you still wake up every day going, it's just not right listen to it and be open to it and don't try and put a name to it I think people are too worried about categorizing everything oh, I'm gonna go and become a yoga teacher maybe you'll hate yoga teaching it could be awful <laughs> everyone thinks it's brilliant maybe you should go and become a shopkeeper maybe that's the thing you know sometimes we don't know what is authentic until we find ourselves suddenly in it sometimes on a Sunday evening when you find me sitting on my sofa sadly listening to the archers and I think if you told me this five years ago that this was going to be like my perfect moment of the week yeah I probably wouldn't have agreed with you <laughs> and that sometimes that's where I feel like I'm most myself sometimes it's like dancing to techno but that's the thing isn't it I think it's it's in the moment it's whatever's in the moment rather than trying to have this kind of homogenous definite view of who you are it's just what makes me happy right now. Amazing. And um, what do you think bravery is? Ah, uh, it's really trite, isn't it? It's the feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> um, it's doing the scary thing. Doing the thing that feels right in your heart. And I would say, I find this one tricky because I'd say, do whatever feels right to you as long as you're not hurting anyone else. And obviously... I went through a personal situation where I really hurt someone doing the thing that I felt was right. But it was right in terms of neither of us have come out of it like damaged goods. You know, he's happy. I'm happy. If we'd stayed together, I think I would have been resentful and angry at him and that wouldn't have been very good for both of us. It certainly wouldn't have been very good for him. Yeah, it, it was crap and I didn't want to hurt him and I did I did do it and that was really hard really really difficult but I think in I think in, the, in some ways the ends have justified the means the long-term view of staying in that relationship was not something that I could do in all good conscience it wasn't going to end well and at least how it ended was 
the best way possible, even if at the time it was utterly horrible for both of us. So, yeah, sometimes you do have to hurt people. I'm not going to say do it without hurting people. Sometimes you have to do things because you know that they're just the right thing to do. And would you describe yourself as brave? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yes, I think so, without being conceited about it. I'm brave. I'm also, like, scared a lot. I'm not very brave at the top of the wall. I'm not very brave when I'm trying to go for the B5. I can't do <laughs> when I'm screaming. Um, it takes me a long time sometimes to be brave in situations. But in general, in general, I'm pretty pleased with how I've lived my life, I think. I wish I was more chilled, but I don't wish I was more brave. I think that bit's fine. It's the anxiety is like a different element of it. I wish I could be brave without being anxious about it. Being brave probably causes me to be anxious a lot of the time. And that's something I'd like to get rid of. How do you manage your anxiety? <laughs> Climb. <laughs> Exercise. Friends. Having a really strong support network. Not being on my own. That's a really hard thing I learned. When you're really anxious, really just mulling stuff over all of the time, I used to very much just become very internalised. And now I seek people out. I'm just like, just go and talk to somebody, anybody, about anything. It doesn't matter. It will just feel better. That's a lifeline, absolute lifeline. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to ask people for help. That's a really difficult thing when you're feeling crap about something or you're really worried about something, to go and ask someone to be your friend. I think it's something that's hard in day-to-day -day yeah. life. And then it's even harder yeah. when you're already feeling worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... I was an, I'm an only child as well, so you get very used to just being on your own. And it, it feels really weird to know that there are people out there where you can just be like, hi, <laughs> I feel a bit rubbish. I'm going to inflict my rubbishness on you <laughs> for half an hour because then I'm going to feel better and you're going to be worried about me. <laughs> I have an amazing friend who I do phone at like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I feel weird. <laughs> He's like, okay, <laughs> just talk. <laughs> But I want to like say to that, that there are people and that makes them feel so valued and so happy that they can be someone else's support. Absolutely. And, so and when people say to me, I just fancied hanging out with you because I thought it made me feel better. It's like, what a better compliment is that than in your darkest hour, you are the person that someone feels like they want to have around. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So I hope my mate's listening. It's just because I love you. <laughs> feels like? I don't know. I'm often happy, but I don't think I ever feel like pure happiness, really. Not very often. That's just the worry thing happens. But when I was in Peru, I had a moment of absolute pure happiness. And I remember it. So I've got a photo that I took at the time. And I almost worried about taking the photo in case it broke the moment. But I was like, I'm so, I, I've never felt like this and I have to capture it. We were at Lake Titicaca, and we had, which just sounds cool anyway, doesn't it? And we had hiked, like a 15k hike on one of the little islands. And we got to our hostel for the night, which was, they kind of told us it was really basic. And we turned up and it was 
just magical, like on the side of this mountain that we'd hiked up, it was really high and quite a lot of the guys being quite sick with altitude. And um, the sun was just going down and they, they were taking us to a pizza restaurant and we could smell the garlic from the pizza like wafting up through this village that we'd walked through. And we kind of all put our stuff in our rooms and things. Came out, we're sitting on a veranda overlooking the bay and we realised how far we'd walked. Like, it was a long way up, it was a good couple of thousand feet like this mountain and so the, there were boats and they were absolutely tiny and the sun was going down and we were just overlooking the lake and it was just we're in this beautiful garden there was a big cactus off to one side and we were just sitting there and like chatting just absolute rubbish to each other with a beer and I suddenly realized that my head was entirely empty there was not a shred of worry or thinking I feel really like happily tired and someone is about to feed me something that smells really really good and I literally have no idea where I'm going tomorrow or like what's happening somebody else is entirely in charge of all of it all I need to do is go to bed at some stage (laughs) and that was it and it was complete peace in my head total peace in my head like just like all the thoughts have gone away apart from this is lovely (laughs) I'm having a really nice time (laughs) and I remember just being so like I never feel like this ever and it definitely that's like I really remember it I can really remember the whole thing so clearly um so yeah peace I think is what happiness feels like to me just mental peace what an incredible story it was amazing that was an amazing moment and you've got that photo. And I've got the photo, yeah. I have actually, I'm just getting, I'm about to get it like blown up into a big canvas on the wall. And it's really funny as well, because it's a really beautiful photo. And there's like all these flowers and cactus and it's really lovely. But off to one side of it, there was quite an industrial building. And like, I can't cut it out without losing the aspect of the picture. <laughs> so it's like, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful concrete. <laughs> Which can be beautiful in its own way. <laughs> yeah. I've got a bit of a different question I've been asking people and it's about perceptions of women and whether that's just in society in general uh-huh. or in the outdoors in particular but what sort of perceptions of women do you think there are? God that's a big one. I think there's been a big change in the outdoors world like outdoor sports. There's definitely been a shift towards much more inclusive activities for women I think. And I think a realisation that women can be just as strong and as capable as men. It's not so much now, oh, you're a girl and you're doing well for being a girl. So the hangar sponsor, Shauna Coxie, the world champion. And, I mean, she's just a beast. She's an absolute beast. And I love it. I love watching total gym dudes watch her come in. She's like, she's really small. She's really pretty. And you can see them, like, eyeing her up. And she gets on the wall. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. <laughs> Maybe. I just really wouldn't approach her. <laughs> Probably leave it out. You know, she's not strong for a girl. She's just fucking strong. And she's lovely. And she makes really good cake. I think the perception of women has definitely changed. And we're, and it's the world is a lot more inclusive now as well, even in terms of, like, clothes that are designed for women. You know, it's a bit less pink than it was. It still is quite like that. There's more of a focus on the kind of strength as an attractive thing now as well. I think there is this whole kind of fitness elements to the 
being the perfect woman, which has its good and bad sides, but at least there is a recognition of a stronger place, I guess. I think there are some great female role models. I look at people like Michelle Obama. I think the things that are traditionally seen as being women's roles, communication, relationships, empathy, counselling, you know, kind of coaching and supporting, especially this year, have suddenly become very important to people. And I think there is a growing understanding that actually they're not soft skills, they're just skills, and women are damn good at them. And we need to integrate that. So I think there is a changing perception, but I mean, it's still a pretty sexist world, isn't it? But I, I feel like it's a better world than it was 20 years ago, definitely. And I do think, I think there's a belief in the feminine strength I think is now something that is actually seen as a a real force as opposed to, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's nice to have a woman around the place. I think it's actually seen as a real requirement to be successful in business, to get successful in life, to integrate that. And I think men as well are a bit more in touch with their feminine side and do actually understand that maybe it's quite useful to be able to communicate and relate to other people on an emotional level rather than just being all about money and the fast cars which is pretty sexist of me, so what am I saying? (laughs) So, yeah, I think better than we were. I think, as well, I can't imagine 20 years ago travelling on your own as a woman, and you must be finding this as well, just going off and doing things on your own. I think now it's a much more accepted thing. People don't see it as weird. You're not, like, putting yourself in a dangerous position. It's like, no, go and do it. Why wouldn't you go and do it? And you read so much now about, especially female athletes, like cyclists, long-distance cyclists, long-distance runners, who are just doing these most amazing things because they have the endurance, mental endurance, mental strength to put themselves through these huge ordeals and come out the other end and just be like, yeah, I sailed around the world on my own. It's fine. (laughs) I coached. (laughs) Just get through it one day at a time. Exactly, exactly. There's like a pragmatism, isn't there? I think there is a pragmatism to to women who are trying to do something a bit out of the ordinary where they're like, well, just break it down into small steps and it'll be fine. If I did it, anyone could do it. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Do you see yourself represented in outdoors media? I think I think of myself as being about 25, so I'd probably say yes. No, but not only because of the age thing. I think there's more representation now of women of middle-aged, mid, middle-aged, older, older. Not 20s. Uh, not 20s, 40-something women. I think there is some representation, not loads, to be honest. I think they're almost a bit forgotten. Like, I think you tend to see people who are older, like, you know, active old, older people um, or young. And there's like a middle section, isn't there, that's a bit like, this is probably the time you're having babies and like you're too busy looking after five-year-olds to be outdoors. The thing that's missing is women of my age who feel younger. <laughs> they, there's a perception of who you are, of who you're going to be. So there's the family woman who kind of encompasses the kind of 30s to 45. Then there's the older women and then there's the youngsters. And that's all fine. But what if you're not? What if you're just quite an independent 40-year-old who feels about 30? Where does that sit? Is that okay? And I still think that there is 
one of the areas that is still a bit taboo is around women who don't want kids or haven't had kids for whatever reason and are okay with that. Like, that's kind of where they are in their lives and they're quite settled with that. It almost feels like it's something that people don't quite get. It's like, you get to a certain age and if you're going to be shown in TV or adverts, you definitely have kids. You're either looking after someone else's or you have your own. So definitely think that that's a, that's a weird little area that just gets cut out of the media. Yeah, people don't really quite get some of my extracurricular activities, I suppose. Uh, I'm probably not supposed to go clubbing anymore. Yeah, but it says who? <laughs> no, says the like... TV adverts, definitely. They, yeah, that's always a weird one on dating sites, isn't it? What do you like doing? I really like going clubbing. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> it's fun. It's I like. Still I, fun. I like the music. Also, I think there's a bit of a commoditization, commodification of. Um, fitness industry where it becomes very about how you look so if it is presented in media it's always like you know almost uh, kind of compulsive you're doing this because you want to keep fit as opposed to you doing it because it makes you feel great or it's just really good fun like I don't go climbing to stay fit I go to the gym to stay fit so I can climb but I go climbing because it's really good fun and I don't really go to get better because otherwise I'd be better than I am I just go because it's good fun. And it's almost like we pretend that that's not a good enough reason. Actually, just going and having fun and doing something, trying something. Like, you have to be really into it. You have to be a cyclist or a runner and you have to do it really avidly and you have to get better at it. Why can't you just go and have a nice time, try something out? I think that gets missed off quite a lot. And I think that might be why a lot of women feel like they can't just go and try something. You don't have to take it up as a lifestyle choice you could just go and give it a go and if you don't like it it's all right no one expects you to be this is it this is my hobby this is what I want to do with my life completely and the idea that you don't have to be good at it to enjoy it it's like going to yoga I think yoga is way more intimidating than coming somewhere like a climbing wall rubbish at yoga I basically tie myself into knots and then fall over in a big sweaty mess and I come out of it at the end feeling like maybe I've torn, a, torn one knee but the other leg feels great <laughs> <laughs> you talked a little bit earlier about role models just to sort of like go back to that do you have any female role models or women who inspire you definitely my female friends there are people I mentioned Michelle Obama earlier that's a relatively recent one but I've definitely watched some of the things that she's done I just think they're both brilliant as a couple, I think the Obamas really make something aspirational. But I do think she's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I had no idea where she came from and how much work she put in to, to be where she is and who she is. And I just think she's incredible. But I don't really spend a lot of time thinking, like looking at people in the media and thinking, oh, yes, definitely. It's the women around me, like, women who've been strong and compassionate around me and I've been lucky enough to have some really amazing female friends Um, and I came to that very late in life I do not get on with women at all and I was very standoffish when I was younger I found it very difficult to get on with girls I went to an all-girls school which is probably why but later in life I've just had some really great friends who've just been there for me in really difficult situations in very subtle ways just on the end of the phone when I need them they get the facts that I don't want to chat for hours on ends, you know, but if I need someone or I text them, they're just there. 
and they go through things and cope with the stuff that life throws at them just admirably well and with immense humour. I find that really inspiring. And you know, some of them have done crazy things. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm inspired by anybody, anyone I see tackle life and still come out of it a decent human being and having a laugh. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, this is like almost the last question, but what is one piece of advice that you'd give to your younger self? Do it. <laughs> do it. Do all of it more <laughs> and worry less. Amazing. Very <laughs> succinct. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Worry less. That's the questions done. Is there anything that you thought I would ask you that I haven't? Or is there anything in particular that you'd like to say or plug? Come to the climbing hangar. It's the best place in the world. Apart from that place in Lake Titicaca, which was pretty amazing. (laughs) That might be quite niche, though. Not everyone might be able to get there. A bit tricky. I mean, it was quite hard to get there. Not really. I don't think I've talked about myself that much for quite some time. (laughs) Yeah, I guess just... Going back to that that whole thing, like if you if you feel a call to do something, figure out a way to try it. Figure out a way to try it that doesn't mean risking everything, I guess. Yeah, that is a That's really a, good bit of advice. Like, there's always little things you can do. And adventure doesn't have to be, I'm going to the other side of the world to climb a mountain. It could be like, I'm just gonna go and try, I'm gonna go and try climbing yeah. in my local wall and just see what it's like. And I never have to go back and never have to see any of those people again. So there's nothing to lose, but just do the, find a little thing that speaks to whatever it is that's shouting at you and see how it goes. And if that works, do something bigger. I can't remember the quote perfectly, but there's a quote from Rumi, which is something like, be guided by whatever your heart is telling you, like it won't see you wrong. But basically like, if there's a voice in you saying you should try something, give it a little bit of breathing space. And if it still tells you to keep going, keep going. And give it, it more space. And if it doesn't, if you're like, oh my God, that was awful, probably don't. <laughs> That's okay, but at least you know. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed listening to Viv as much as I did. Next week, I'll be talking to Alice all about running and marathons. I can't wait to share it. If you are loving the podcast, there are so many things you can do to support me. Please, please recommend it to someone who you think will like it too. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps others to find it. And you can also come and join us on Instagram where I do an Instagram live every Friday at 6pm. I'd really love to see you there. You can also support us on Patreon where you'll get extra content and behind the scenes info and a whole lot of love from me. Until next time, keep on being extraordinary. Thank you.